Well, when it comes to control freaks, we've been telling you we're all in the same boat. Either you work for one, or you date one, or you're married to one, you're in a relationship with one, or you're friends with one, I don't know, or maybe you are one, but we all have to deal with control freaks. Now, you may not be a control freak, but I do know this. We all want some level of control. <laughs> I mean, the people are doing some really dumb stuff around us, aren't they? And if they would just listen to us, wouldn't it be so much better if they would just do it the way we tell them to do it or the way we know they should do it? And here's the reality. We are created, actually, to be control freaks. And it's the truth. But God has only given us permission, though, to be control freaks in one single area, and that's what we've been talking about. That area is self-control. That's the only area we have a permission to be a control freak. And actually, we consider this whole thing, this whole topic of self-control, we really consider this to be one of the disciplines, a spiritual discipline. And strangely enough, God sees self-control as a spiritual measuring stick as well, a marker of where we are in the process of following and submitting to Jesus. Wow. So that makes it pretty important. The truth is, though, I can't grow self-control. I, I can't force it to happen. Now, I can maybe do that for a little while, but it's not going to last long term. And secondly, it's not going to be to the level of self-control that God requires of me. I can't do that on my own. And here's why. If I possess the level of self-control that God desires and has designed for my life, then that means this, it has to come from God. Now, normally I would think, well, that's just something I can just gut it out and make happen. But the level that God requires and wants and has designed only can come from Him. Now, let me give you a disclaimer this morning as I begin. The disclaimer is this. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I've got some great news for you. And this may be the only good news I can say from that perspective. But here's some news. You're off the hook today. What I'm going to be talking about was addressed and written to people who are following Jesus. Now, I want to say this. If you'll just hang in here with me today and still listen and pay attention, then, then some of what we're talking about, what it does, it kind of gives you a chance to peek behind the curtain and see, okay, what is this Christ following thing really all about? I mean, is it a bait and switch that, hey, I say I follow Jesus and then he springs all these things on me? Well, he doesn't, but this allows you the opportunity to see some of the things that God wants to do in your life. It gives you an opportunity to see that. And so there's no secrets to this. This is all in the new covenant. Everyone has access to it. No secrets, but it gives you a chance this morning to just kind of look behind the curtain and see what are some of the things that are driving, what are the cogs, what are the gears that are working here spiritually, and this is one of those. So you get a chance to look at that, and you get a chance to, to kind of, you know, just to see, hey, what, what is it? What's going on with all this? So now... The bad news, if you're a follower of Jesus, then we are not off the hook because God has said, here it is. This is part of his plan for my life and part of his plan for your life. So 
Real talk here, I can't grow this stuff called self-control to the level that God requires. I can do it for a little while, but I cannot, I can't do it to the level he requires and I can't sustain that. It only happens when I live my life step by step with God's Spirit, walking with God's Spirit who is in my heart because I'm a believer. That's what the, that's what the Bible tells us. And God's Spirit allowing him to guide me step by step. And we get a clue of this whole concept in Galatians chapter 5. The guy who wrote this, his name is Paul, and he was inspired by God to pen these exact words. We have a translation of it here in English. He wrote it actually uh, in in Greek. But here's the translation, Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, now let's pause there because it's not the fruit of Harley, it's not the fruit of, of you, my friends, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So a result only of the Spirit. So a life connected to God, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. That's what he's talking about. This is a result of him. So by the fruit of the Spirit, it is, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Here's our word for this series, self-control. And he says, against such things, there is no law. In other words, there's more on the list, but here's a sampling of these things. And of them, there is no law against this stuff. So Paul is telling us that spiritual markers will be present in our lives as we follow Jesus, if we're actually following Jesus. And one of those markers, he says, the measuring, one of those measuring sticks, markers, is self-control. And it doesn't just appear. Boom! Wow, I feel so controlled. Man, it was all yesterday, everything was off. All the wheels were coming off of everything. I was just the life was what, but now I'm so controlled. It doesn't happen that way. It happens slowly over the course of time. It grows like fruit, which is why it's called the fruit of the spirit. Year by year, slowly increasing, slowly growing. One of those nine markers, self-control. So what is self-control? Here's the definition that we've given you for this series. Self-control, the capacity to say yes to myself and no to myself at the right times. The capacity to say yes when I need to say yes to myself and it's appropriate. The capacity to say no to myself when I need to say no to myself at the right time. That's self-control. And the truth is, I believe, I'm not alone, we all struggle with self-control. God has given me this life to manage. He did not give me your life to manage. He gave me my life to manage And he asked me, Harley, if you're going to follow me, I want you to manage your life, my life, Harley's life, the way Jesus would manage my life. That's the requirement. I am to manage my life the way he would manage my life. Now, that's self-control. Think about the life that we've been given. The life we've been given. We have the ability to respond to the environment around us, and largely that environment being people. I have control over what I do and how I do it. I have that control. That's part of managing my life. I can be short with people. I can be impatient with people. 
Or I have the power to be kind and the power to be gentle. I have control over how I say what I say, and obviously I have power over what I do say. I've had people tell me, you know, I'm just the reason why I'm so angry is I'm just so passionate. That just shows I'm so passionate. No, it shows you're a jerk. (laughs) Not that you're passionate. It just shows you're not in control. We have the power to be patient and kind and gentle. We have that power, but it takes self-control. As I participate with God's Spirit to control myself, because again, I can't do it all. It's participating with God's Spirit. But it is up to me to actually participate. And I do that by managing the fruit that He is producing. Big concept. I want to say that again. I participate by managing the fruit that He is producing. And that's my life, okay? I get to choose my approach to this life. I get to choose that. I get to choose uh, my approach, how I'm going to view the world around me. And in doing so, I am cooperating with God's Spirit to gain some control over myself and to gain control over the way I choose to approach the world around me, controlling how I view things. So yeah, I'm created to be a control freak regarding my approach to life and regarding the way I choose to approach other people. So let me be honest with you. I try to be as honest as it is useful here. I I mean, I'm never dishonest, but I I try to reveal to you parts of my life that are appropriate, and I just want to let you know, please don't hate me at the end of this. I just want to be transparent. The approach to life that comes natural to me, to Harley, is this. If I'm inconvenienced, I get irritated. That's my approach to life. If somebody's in front of me at the stoplight and they pause one, two seconds too long after the light turns green, I'm irritated. If I'm driving to Hot Springs and, uh, or anywhere, four-lane road, and the person in the left lane is driving slower than the f- flow of traffic and i got to pass them on the right, I'm irritated. If I, if, if, if I pass somebody and, that's going slow and as I'm passing them, they speed up, I'm irritated. If somebody passes me, and I'm not going to speed up, I got my cruise control set, I'm not going to speed up. If somebody passes me and gets in front of me and then slows down, happens all the time. People go on to Pine Bluff, happens all the time. I get irritated. It's just me. Okay, so if something costs me money and I don't think it should cost that much or or at all sometimes, I get get, uh, just uh, beside myself. I hate paying to put air in my tire. I hate it. I hate it. Why I'm buying air. I, I, I hate it. Uh, the cost of snacks at the movie theater. Can I get an amen? I hate it. The cost of snacks when you go to a large stadium event. Oh, my word. I love getting snacks at the high school football games because they are so reasonable. 
and I get a lot. I love that, but if it costs you, I'm just irritated. And it seems like, here's another thing, by the way, while we're on money, it seems like 75% of the stuff that I buy from Amazon.com now is just junk, and it falls apart. But they get it to me so fast. I keep buying it. I get it the next day. Oh, my goodness. But I still get irritated. Okay, so if I get interrupted by something, it is so annoying. It is so annoying. that uh, when, when my Netflix starts buffering, oh, good, because I've got slow internet. Oh, that just really bothers me. When I get that circle of death and it never goes past 24%, oh, yeah, beside myself. When the power, out, when the power goes out at the house, Oh, I'm so irritated. And then you've got to reset all the clocks. And how many are there? 3,500 clocks in my house, and they're all flashing 12 o'clock. I get so, when I'm on jury duty, which I'm on right now, by the way, ah, there you go, interruption. If the internet goes down, my life is on the internet. Ah, what would I do? What do I do without the interwebs? Nothing. I have nothing to do. So, if things around me don't go the way I want them to go, or at least not in the way I think they should go, that's going to equal frustration for me. And really the problem I've determined with all this is people. You can't control them. I can't, they won't do anything I say. I can't make them. I can't. I, it doesn't matter. And so that's frustrating. If someone doesn't replace the TP on the roll, that's a problem for somebody. Someone else. Okay, and I, I know I'm being picky here, but while we're on the topic... If you put it on backwards, someone told me last week, yeah, uh, you put it on f with the beard hanging down, not the mullet in the back. It goes in the front. That's the way it was designed. And when it's not that way, guess what? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, when this happens in my life, which is every day, something on that list every single day, usually many things, it tends to lead me to want to say things that are unkind, to be very impatient, to be gruff, to be grumpy. Anyone who knows me is like, yeah, Harley, that is, you just described yourself really well. And that's a sure sign when that happens. When I begin to get gruff and grumpy and unkind and impatient, it is a sure sign that I'm thinking about me. You see, when I don't control myself, I want to control you. That's the truth. And that proves that in that moment, I'm all about myself. So here's the first part of our bottom line today. When my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. Now, I need to go ahead and let you know in case you need to snicker at me. I know it sounds like Yoda. I, I know. That sounds like Yoda. After I wrote this uh, teaching and I was all done and I had all the things ready and I had this, these ready to go on the screen, all that, and I looked at it and I was like, I'm a dork. It sounds like Yoda. Every time I say the bottom line today, they're going to think, Yoda. So you're welcome. <laughs> Yoda did not say this. We're actually getting this out of Scripture, and I'm going to prove to you where we got that. But when my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. Self-control. Today we're talking about the way I see myself 
and the way I see and view and experience the world around me. There's another word for that, and it's called attitude. Attitude. My point of view. My point of view. And it impacts my behavior. My attitude, my point of view impacts my behavior. When my attitude is all about me, I am going to naturally begin to manipulate people around me and the situations around me so that I can get the outcome that I want. Sometimes we manipulate with anger. Sometimes, please don't elbow anybody, (laughs) sometimes we manipulate with fear. Sometimes we manipulate with emotional distance. We can also manipulate with emotional closeness. Sometimes we manipulate with a lack of words. Sometimes we manipulate with uh, just the choice of words. But it's all manipulation, and it's all to get the desired outcome that we want. Whatever that outcome is that suits us better, if we are about us in that moment, we will manipulate somehow to move us closer to that outcome. When I don't control myself, I'm all about myself. When my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. Now, for the past two weeks, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know for week number one, this was our springboard. And I want to very quickly run through a few verses that were written by a guy named Peter. He was basically the best friend of Jesus. And uh, he was one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the closest relationally to him. Here's what Peter had to say some years later after Jesus had died and he rose again. Here's what he said. He wrote a letter and, uh, and this, uh, this is what he said. Verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1. By his, that's God, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. In other words, you know, we've got what we need. And he's going to kind of explain that further. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And this is not just a, I know about him. It's a relationship. I am in a relationship with Jesus, kind of know him. All right. The one who calls us to himself means, uh, uh, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, verse four. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And we talked about in week one, what exactly are those promises? And we said this, that promise is the Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave, I'm sending God's Spirit not to just be around you, but to be in you, in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus. That's the promise. He goes on, these are the promises, that Holy Spirit, that enable you. So here's how we can do it, because we can't live that life without him. Here's how we do it. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. In other words, Peter's saying to help you become more and more and more and more like Jesus a little bit every day. To share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I just gave you a whole list of all of, uh, not all, but many of my corruptions. All right, there's a difference when the Holy Spirit's leading me or when I'm leading me. He said this uh, caused by human desires. So he says we can be less like the old Harley, more like Jesus. Verse 5, in all of this, and we really made, this is where this series comes in, make every effort 
means I have to do something. It doesn't just happen. There's something I have to do to participate in this process. Make every effort to respond to God's promises, to respond to His Holy Spirit. We have a part to play. God does what only He can do, and then we have a part to play, to participate. And here's what He says, participate this way. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Sounds like he's given us a menu, doesn't it? Sounds delicious. And moral excellence with knowledge. And that's not just knowledge of, oh, I know more. It's knowledge within that deep relationship of Jesus Christ. And knowledge with self-control. There's our key word for the series. And self-control with patient endurance and godliness and with patient endurance with godliness and with godliness brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So it sounds a lot like the list that Paul gave us that I read to you in Galatians as we began. And then Peter says this, the more you grow like this, in other words, it's not all at once, it's little by little over the course of time, but grow we must. And we grow like fruit slowly over the course of time. The more we grow like this, the more productive and useful we will be, you will be in your knowledge, not just head knowledge, but in your relationship with Jesus Christ, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but those who fail, now here's a key word, that means there are some people who are following Jesus, but they're really following at a distance. They're like, hey Jesus, you run ahead, I'll catch up with you later. <laughs> they're not following closely. They may not even know where he is. He says, but those who failed to develop this way, now listen, we're talking about something developing this way. That means God has his part that has to be played. We can't do it on our own. He has his part that must be played. Then we have to participate. So God gives us some ingredients and we have to do something with them for that development. But those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sin. Again, let me remind you, Peter is talking to people who are following Jesus. And he says, it's possible to follow Jesus and you drift back so far away from him, he gets so far ahead of you, if you will, that you begin to forget why you even needed Jesus because you're so busy just living your life. And when we begin to forget, we forget why we needed him that we have really, I'm just going to, for Harley, I just screwed up my life and I forget how screwed up I was. And then I begin to fall back. Jesus even tells us in the new covenant, I don't have this on a verse for you, but you go look it up. It's there. Jesus tells us, I'm going to give you in Harley's words here. I'm going to paraphrase this. He said that if you, if you love the people around you and if you love God and the people around you just a little bit, it's because you think you've been forgiven just a little bit. In other words, you're like, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as that guy. Oh my word, he's blowing it. God just had to die for me a little bit. I mean, he really had to go all the way for that guy. It means we're forgetting how rotten we really, really are if we're loving other people around us just a little, if we're loving God just a little. 
But he said, those people who love others around them a lot and love God a lot are remembering how much exactly they have really been forgiven of, forgiven for. If I think I'm forgiven a little, I love a little. I will love me more than I love you. If I think I've been forgiven a little. He goes on. I don't have time to pause. Verse 10. So dear brothers and sisters. So because of everything I just said, Peter says now. So dear brothers and sisters, this. Work hard to prove. We got to pause here for a moment. This is so important. I, I, I want you to understand it. This word just really um, gave me problems as I have looked at my life and looked at Scripture, this inspired Word of God. How does it, and this word, prove, I struggled with that. How do I prove this? It's up to me to prove it? What's going on here? What if I can't prove it? What happens? Uh, what, so it, really, that word had me worried. So I want to help you understand this. Peter says, so dear brothers and sisters, speaking to believers, work hard to prove. When this was written in Greek, um, we have uh, translated into English that Greek word, we have used the word prove in this translation. There are some other translations that use some other words, but they're all fairly inadequate to get across this picture I want to paint for you. So it's easier to use a phrase, maybe even a paragraph, to help you understand what this word means in the Greek. So here's what it means. This word we have translated proof means this. We are to take something that is already in existence, these ingredients that only God can provide, we're to take those ingredients and we are to make something new with them. We're not creating. When you create, you're creating something out of nothing. Only God really can create. We are to take what is already in existence that God is providing, and we are to make something new with that. So what is in existence? We have said it is that growing fruit of the Spirit that only God can provide. That's what's in existence. So we take what is in existence, that growing fruit of the Spirit, and we make something new. What is being made new with all of that? And the answer is our very lives. That's what's being made new. And that's what we are handed. Take what God has provided, what is already in existence, and create, make something new with that. Our very lives. The way we see the world around us. That should be made new. And the way we see other people, that should be made new. And the way we see ourselves, that should be made new. So he goes on. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove. Now you know what that means. 
that you really are among those God has called and chosen. He said, do these things. Listen, you'll never fall away. Do this. You will never fall away. But now I want to dig deeper into this statement of verse 10. Work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. The proof comes when that fruit, which is growing over time that God is producing, that's when this proof comes. And in this series specifically, we're talking about self-control. And to narrow that down further for what we're talking about today, self-control with how I relate to and how I see the world around me and myself and how I respond to the world around me. That requires self-control. The way I see myself, the way I see others, that determines how I'm going to respond in every situation. And when I'm not controlling the way that I see the world around me, I don't have control of myself. Myself is controlling me. And the result of that will always be this. When, I, when my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. Now, one of the best encouragements on this topic we find from the, the man named, the apostle named Paul. Paul became a Jesus follower after he saw and witnessed Jesus being crucified and dying. He became a follower after that. And here's the cool thing. Paul, in his course of following Jesus and starting churches, he was a church starter. In his course of that, he, as he was in other places, sometimes in prison, he would write letters and send them to the churches that he started. Now, he sent those letters to them with the full knowledge, knowing, and with the expectation that that church would read that letter, they would write down a copy for themselves, and then they would send that same letter to the, to the next church, the other churches. And that letter would circulate through all the churches. And here's, this is so cool. And God inspired him to write what he wrote. In other words, we're reading the thoughts of God as written down by Paul. And this is what's so cool. Today, it has circulated so well as designed that we have a copy of it. You have a copy of it probably in your own home. You have a copy of that letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it in Greek. It was translated into English. You probably have a copy of it. It's called the New Covenant, the New Testament. And inside of that, you'll find a letter that he wrote to the Philippians. It was to the church in Philippi. And we have a copy of that. And we get to study that same thing today as a church. The same thing they studied 2,000 years ago when he sent the letter the first time. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what Paul has to say on this topic. Above all, that speaks for itself. 
You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, this sounds to me a whole lot like, very similar to what Peter told us when he said, hey, listen, prove by the way that you live, that you really are a follower. And here's Paul saying, listen, you need to live in such a way that it is obvious you're a follower of Jesus. Paul goes on, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, so don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Paul is saying, listen, you're living a life as a follower of Jesus that is in the process of changing. Don't go back and start living for yourself again. Do not be a me first, me first type of person any longer. Why? Because when my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. Paul says instead of that, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul is saying don't neglect yourself, but take an interest in others as well. And he's also not saying don't run yourself down. You're not supposed to put yourself down and say, oh, you're so much better than me. Paul is saying, don't think less of yourself. Think about yourself less. Does that make sense? And this is the approach to life and the approach to other people that Paul is saying, that's what God has designed. And it is a lifestyle. It is a perspective of how to live life. It's the attitude with which and from which I filter all of my decisions and actions. That's what Paul says. That's what it should be. So here's the full bottom line today. When my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. But if my thought is you, serving I will do. If my first thought is me, manipulative I will be, but if my thought is you, serving I will do. Thank you very much, Yoda. <laughs> From start to finish, it's all Yoda. So next, Paul gives us the ultimate example of this phrase. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude. What is that? My look uh, about how I see myself, how I see the world around me. The same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He said should be the very, very same. Now, since the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives and over the course of time makes me look more and more and more like Jesus, Remember, only God can provide the ingredients. That's the fruit. And one of those is self-control. And we take that fruit, one of those is self-control that has been giving to us, given to us and is adding up in our lives. And we participate with his spirit to see our lives turned into something new. Paul gives us now a picture of what that is. He's going to show us what it looks like if we will participate and we will allow this to grow. So I want you to listen closely. Paul is getting ready to give us a, a verbal picture of Jesus. He's going to describe Jesus. And this is so deep. It blows my mind. So just, I mean, just hang in here. Just, just kind of tune in freshly right now. Here we go. Verse 6. 
though he was God. He's talking about Jesus. So Paul is saying, be clear, everyone, be clear. Jesus is God. Now, I know that's confusing, but when we look at the Old Covenant all the way through the New Covenant, God always reveals himself to us as three individual and separate personalities and persons. We see God the Father very clearly. We see God the Son, that's Jesus, very clearly. We see God the Holy Spirit. And all three are God, and they are actually in a relationship with each other. Now, here's where Harley's mind gets blown. They are described as three individual persons, but yet God says continually, I am one God. We don't serve three gods. We serve one God. Somehow they are three separate and at the same time they are one single God. Our minds cannot comprehend that. There are all kinds of illustrations. Oh, God's like water, you know, water and ice and steam. No, 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 they don't work. They'll, all of those examples break down, every single one. And here's the reality. If I could understand God, friends, that would be a small God. I'm okay not understanding this, but Paul is being clear. He says, make no mistake, Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There's no hierarchy. They're all equal. It's God and it's one, somehow just one, but separate, but one. Okay. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Do you know what he, Paul is saying? Jesus did not fight for position among God. It wasn't like Jesus was complaining, oh, Father, why do I have to do that? I get all the worst chores. It's not like he was saying, oh, Spirit, come on. You can just go down there and do that. They don't even have to even know you were there. They won't see you. This isn't fair. Ah, I'll show you who's important. I'm not going to take it. Now, when my first thought is me, manipulative I will be, but if my thought is you, serving I will do. Jesus did not fight for his rightful position as God. Rather, verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. In other words, Jesus did the opposite of fighting for his right and for his position. He just gave it all up. Now, Paul reminded us, he did not give up being God. Jesus gave up his form for eternity because he became a human, a man, but still completely God. He, he gave up his environment for a period of time and bound himself down here to gravity and, and, and to the laws of physics and he gave up and set aside his glory for a period of time 
You see, if my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. But if my thought is you, serving I will do. And that's what Jesus was doing. He goes on. He took the humble position of a slave. And it's not like he went down to the costume store and said, hey, I need a slave costume because I need to look like a slave. No. No. He was a slave. He, he, he did the slave things, the servant things. He humbled himself and he was a servant. God, the creator of the world, of the universe, of everything in this universe, choosing to become a servant. Now, when my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. But if my thought is you, serving I will do. So he became a servant, and it goes on, and was born as a human being, fully God, fully human. When he appeared in human form, verse 8, he humbled, key word, humbled himself in obedience to God. And Paul is saying, this is the approach to life. This is the attitude that God has planned for us. And it is dependent upon that key word, humility. It is dependent upon our decision to be humble. Not fighting for what we think is our rightful position. Not fighting for what we think is owed to us. But it is giving up our desire to have things work the way we want them to work. Humility. Not thinking of ourselves first, but others first. And Paul then says about Jesus, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. He was no criminal, but he, de he died a death like a criminal. And now this takes us all the way back to the front of this passage, where we started, because what we see in Jesus is the, the exact opposite of being selfish and living my life to impress other people. Jesus lived the opposite of thinking of me first, me first, even though it was his right as God to be me first. But Jesus lived the opposite. Life was not all about him. It was not about manipulating everything around him to get people to do what he wanted them to do. Paul goes on. Verse 12. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, now listen, we just read something very similar to that about Peter. Peter said, work hard to prove that you really are a Jesus follower. And now Paul is saying, and, and remember what prove meant, take the ingredients that God provides and make something new. Work hard to prove that you really are a Jesus follower. Now, Paul is saying, work hard to show the results of your salvation in your life. Paul is saying the same thing. Work hard. We need to go out there and work out. Yeah, I did it once. And it really works. I was really sore. I planked. I won't tell you how long. I don't want to embarrass you, me. I was so sore for three days. 
It, ha it works. When we work hard, when we take what God has given us and work it out, work hard, really exercise that, we have a good workout with everything he's given us, what he has provided, all this fruit that he wants to grow in our lives, and we take it and we work it out. We work hard. I don't know what exercise I'm doing here, but we work hard. We work out that fruit throughout the day, every day, and the effect is this, the fruit grows even more. The attitude of you before me it grows and grows and grows. And Paul says, here's the result. He goes on. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. That's the result. And he reminds us in verse 13. For God is working in you. Who's that? God's spirit. In you, if you're a believer. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you see how it all works? It all comes from him. And we work it out, we work it out, and he's and it's still he's making it grow. And then Paul kind of ends it like this. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And by the way, just in case you forget that this whole thing here uh, really involves self, I'm so sorry, really involves self-control, just in case you forget. He says this in verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Some translations say grumbling. Do everything without complaining and arguing and grumbling so that nobody can criticize you. Without grumbling, without complaining, because it's about self-control. You see, grumbling and complaining when my first thought is me, manipulative I will be. But if my thought is you, serving I will do. And all of this today brings us to this set of next steps that I'm going to ask you to take. Here's the first one. Will you read this week? Many times, just these few verses, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Will you read that many times this week? Just read that. And I don't want you just to read it. When I say read this, when I'm talking about scripture, it's always in the context of read that and have a conversation with God about that. It is inspired by him. It is, uh, those are his thoughts through the pen of Paul. So you're reading the thoughts of God. Will you read that and have a conversation with God about that? Here's the second thing I want you to recognize Will you, along with me, recognize when my thoughts and your thoughts, will you recognize, are they me first or you first thoughts? Recognize the, the, the thoughts that this is before it ever becomes an action, before it ever becomes hopefully a facial expression. Will you recognize, is this a me first type attitude thought that I'm having a perspective on life? Or is this a you first attitude and perspective on life? So read this, recognize your thoughts, those first thoughts you have, recognize those throughout the week, this week, and then call out. Well, you call out to your helper, as we talked about in week one, the Holy Spirit, your advocate, the Holy Spirit, your battle partner, because we cannot do this on our own. 
Recognize. So read that this week. Recognize as you're going throughout your day. And if you're having me first type thoughts, call out to God, the Holy Spirit who is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's your battle partner. He's going to come to your rescue and help you. And then will you fight? Will you fight in that moment to step past me thoughts and move to serving you? Read this week with me. Recognize, call out, and fight. And then I want to meet you back here next week as we talk about another big, big, big topic of self-control. But let's do this this week. Let's take the ingredients that God has provided and let's let's work them out and exercise them. It's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be a slow process, but let's begin that this week. Will you join me? Let's pray. Jesus, you humbled yourself. You are God himself, and you chose to humble yourself and to come here to serve us by dying a horrible death on the cross. You did not fight for your rights, Jesus. You poured yourself out. And Jesus, forgive me of thinking of me and myself. Forgive me, Jesus, of trying to elevate myself in this world. Forgive me for not following your example. And may your spirit help me this week to recognize when I'm not seeing myself in the way that you want me to see myself. And when I'm not seeing the world around me the way you want me to see the world around me. Because Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I I have proven that over and over every day. I cannot do this on my own. I need your help, Jesus. And I ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.